hearts to hear the gospel this year, and they they. October 9th, next Sunday. Um, I don't know what uh, I don't know what the football schedule is on Sunday. I don't know when the Seahawks play. I don't know what the weather's going to be. If it's going to be beautiful or cloudy, I do know that night before is homecoming. None of those events will be more important than what we will do next Sunday morning as we talk about the future of our church and some things that God's doing. So I hope that you will join me next Sunday, and we'll have that conversation. In the meanwhile, we're going to uh, wrap up our study of turbulence. We've been talking about those times in our life when things just spiral out of control, when we don't know what the next day is going to bring, when we feel helpless and life is difficult. And uh, when you're going through a time like that, who do you want to talk to? When you're going through turbulence, who do you want to talk to? Do you want to talk, I mean, you want to talk to someone whose life is all together, or do you want to talk to that person who looks like they might know a little bit about what you're going through? Uh, A good example would be a young mom who's struggling with the challenges of raising kids. I mean, that's turbulence. That's built-in turbulence if you're a mom of toddlers. It's just comes with the territory. And so if you're a young mom and you're raising kids, that's a tough job and it's a daily job and and, uh, you are experiencing turbulence. You've lost time to yourself. You don't know what it's like to have a quiet minute anymore. Your life is controlled by by little people who really don't care whether you got a good night's rest last night or not. They want what they want. And you feel disheveled. Uh, uh, You're insecure about yourself and your house and and you're frazzled, and you really just need to reach out to someone. You've got to talk to somebody. Who do you want to talk to? Do you want to talk to that uh, mom who, with the really expensive stroller that you see uh, walking in front of your house every day with three kids behind her who look like they walked out of the pages of a, of a catalog, you know? Do you want to talk to that mom who looks like she's got it all together? Do you want to talk to a mom who looks like she might know a little bit about turbulence? She might know a little bit about what you're going through. I mean, most of us, when we're going through a time of turbulence, we want to talk to someone who gets where we're at, who understands what we're going through and has been there themselves. I mean, that's so helpful because that's what it takes to be able to empathize with, with, with us. We want someone who, can, who gets our turbulence, at least in a certain level. But that's, that's helpful, and, and we don't want to downplay that, but that's in and of itself, it's not enough. It's helpful, but we also want to talk to someone who not only has gone through turbulence themselves, but, uh, uh, but who can help us in our turbulence. Now, it's not just enough to empathize. We also want someone who can provide some help. That's really what all of us want in turbulence, someone who gets what we're going through, but also someone who can help us. And today, as we wrap up our study with communion, we're going to see that that's exactly what we have in Jesus. We have someone who, first of all, can empathize with our turbulence, but more than just being able to empathize, more than just getting it, he can also help us in it. And we're going to talk about, uh, as we do, that's really one of the most unique, one of the uh, unique features of the gospel, one of the unique features of following Jesus, that we follow a God 
who knows turbulence and can help us in it. So in keeping with this study, we're going to go to another classic passage of Scripture as we have done every Sunday. And in this case, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. So open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, in your Bible, on your phone, however you access your copy of Scripture, Isaiah 53. And as we do, we're going to read this whole, we're going to read the whole chapter. I'll give you a minute to find it. We're going to read the whole chapter, and as we do, I want you to know a few things about this chapter. Number one is that it was written 800 years before Jesus was even born. I mean, as we read, you're going to be like, well, this is clearly about Jesus. It is. It's very clearly about Jesus, written 800 years before he was even born. Secondly, I want you to know that, remember, as we read this, we're talking about not just is it about Jesus, but it's really very descriptive of Jesus on the cross, perfectly fulfilled by Jesus' death on the cross. And then as we read, I also want you to remember the person we're reading about here is God. It's God himself. It's the second person of the Trinity that these things are happening to. Isaiah 53, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of our Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed." We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life, And be satisfied. By knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. 800 years before Jesus even came on the scene, Isaiah wrote down these words telling us that the one that God would send would suffer. That's not what they were expecting. They expecting to hear. They were expecting to hear the one that God would send would conquer, but instead they heard that the one that God would send would suffer. He would be a suffering servant, someone who knew something 
about turbulence. And of all the things that we've learned about turbulence over the past several weeks, they all kind of come together in this, in this passage. And so what I want to do as we prepare for worship through communion is I want to just very simply walk us through four very simple observations, simple but really important observations about Jesus and turbulence. The first of those is that Jesus experienced turbulence. Jesus suffered. Jesus Suffered. This is brought out throughout the chapter that Jesus knows suffering because he's experienced it. Look at uh, verse 3 as a good example of that. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. This is a servant who suffers, who knows turbulence. We read that a little bit further, verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, turbulence. Uh, Verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. Verse 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, and no deceit was found in his mouth. First thing we, we recognize in this passage is something that makes Christianity unique among every other faith and philosophy, and that is we follow a God who has suffered. He knows suffering. He can empathize with us because he knows what it's like to be a human in this life and suffer at the, at the uh, impact of Satan and sin and sinners. Jesus knows what that is like. Hebrews 4 in the New Testament brings out something similar. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. One big exception, he didn't give in, yet without sin. So we follow a God who knows suffering. Second observation, not only does he know suffering, that's important, but that's not enough. There was a purpose to Jesus' suffering. He suffered for you. See, Jesus not only knows suffering, he chose suffering. He chose to suffer, and the reason he chose to suffer was so that he could rescue you. Jesus went through suffering to rescue you. That's the reason he suffered. Jesus didn't suffer because he was weak. He didn't suffer because he was uh, uh, overcome by hardship. He didn't suffer because because he uh, didn't have any options. He suffered because he chose to do that. The reason for his suffering, he had a purpose. He wanted to rescue us. And in order to rescue us, it required him to suffer. As we prepare to take communion, we're going to be holding in our hands a a symbol of a broken body and poured out blood. That's suffering that Jesus chose for us. We see this in verses 4 through 6. Surely he took up our infirmities. I want you to see that Jesus went through suffering to help you. Surely he took up our infirmities, carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds 
we are healed. Jesus went through suffering to rescue us. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, can't read it there, but it says, the iniquities of us all. Jesus suffered with a purpose. He chose it. He suffered for you. Third observation. Jesus suffered for you to alleviate your suffering. The idea, the, the, the idea preceding is, is that Jesus suffered to rescue us. But if you unfold that, you come to this third observation. Not only did Jesus suffer for us, the way that he rescues us is by suffering in our place. It's the idea of substitution. And that's what we see throughout this chapter. We see Jesus suffering in place of us suffering. There's a reason Jesus suffered for you. He wanted to take away the suffering that you had uh, that you deserve. Verse, we'll read the, that same passage again, verses 4 through 6. And I want you to see substitution, not just rescue, but rescue by means of substitution. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And he was, uh, and, and by his wounds, we are healed. We all have gone astray. Each of us has turned on our own way, but the Lord has laid on him. So we went astray, but God laid on him the iniquities of us all. The idea is this. Jesus was pierced for your transgressions. You transgressed. Jesus got pierced. Jesus was crushed for your iniquities. You sinned. Jesus got crushed for it. Now, we all experience turbulence in this life, but thanks to Jesus, we have been rescued from a much greater turbulence, a turbulence that lasts for eternity and suffering apart from God. We have been rescued from that turbulence because Jesus suffered in our place. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That we have been rescued from a much more terrible turbulence. That we deserve and he did not. And we complain about the turbulence that we have in this life, you know, when things don't go right. But it's nothing compared to the turbulence that would be ours if we got what was really coming to us. It'd be nothing compared to the turbulence that we all deserve that would last for eternity. If we were pierced for our own transgressions, if we were crushed for our own iniquities, that would be an inescapable eternal turbulence. Jesus suffered in our place to alleviate our suffering. Three observations. Jesus knows suffering. Jesus chose suffering for our benefit. He, he, he accomplished rescue for us by suffering in our place. And then this final observation is that Jesus' suffering is all part of God's great plan to jujitsu evil and accomplish good. I mean, Jesus' death and resurrection, what we're going to celebrate this morning through communion, it's the culmination, it's the climax of that plan. I mean, it is the greatest example of how God takes evil, the evil that's thrown at us, and turns it into good. It's Romans 8.28 at its best. 
God works all things for our good. And in this case, God took Satan's greatest efforts to destroy his work in the world, to destroy God's work in the world, and he jujitsued it and turned it into the greatest good in the world. Verse 10 says this. Verse 10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Now, we learned in our study a few weeks ago that God doesn't cause suffering, but he does allow it. And this is the greatest picture of how God allows someone innocent to be touched by something they don't deserve for a greater purpose, to jujitsu it for good things. I mean, if anyone didn't deserve turbulence, it's Jesus. But God allowed Jesus to experience turbulence so that he could then jujitsu it and turn it into the greatest good. I want you to see that. That even though it was God's will to crush him, even though God allowed that, even though Jesus, Jesus is an example of God allowing evil to come to us through the filter of his providence, and then God turns it into good. Verse 10, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. But look at the good that comes out of that. Though, though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. God took Satan's greatest effort to destroy his work in the world and turned it into the greatest good so that you and I could be rescued from eternal turbulence and know instead an eternity without turbulence. So that ultimately the Savior wins, the suffering Savior wins and comes out victorious, blessed by God, having accomplished his purpose of suffering in our place. Now there are a lot of things to think about there, and there are a lot more things in Isaiah 53 to think about. But that gives us plenty to go on this morning as we worship in communion, that, that Jesus knows suffering, that he chose it for us, that he was substituted in our place and that Satan's greatest effort to destroy was turned into God's greatest good for us. And when we think about that, we should experience a couple of reactions at least. One of those uh, should be encouragement in our own turbulence. When we're reminded that we serve a God who knows suffering, we serve a God who chose to suffer to rescue us from eternal turbulence, even in our day-to-day challenges, we're reminded that God empathizes with us and that ultimately we will live an eternity without turbulence. So that's an encouragement to us in turbulence. It's also a motivation to us to worship. If this is what Jesus was willing to suffer on our behalf, willingly choose turbulence. If God the Father, it was his will to allow his son to suffer for our good, we're, you know, the reminder to us is that God loves us and he has gone to great lengths to win us back to himself. So that should inspire our worship. And then third, it's kind of a warning uh, to the person who's not turned to Jesus for rescue. And the warning is this. uh, Your turbulence will only increase. Whether you're in turbulence now or your life is going great, I guarantee your turbulence will only increase. As you, if you choose to face uh, God on your own merits, instead of taking the one who's who uh, died in your place, 
That's what the gospel is all about. It's about uh, turning to Jesus as the one God sent and allowing his death to be applied to us. It's as simple as that. But the person who chooses not to look to Jesus for salvation will, uh, will take turbulence on themselves. They will be pierced for their own transgressions, and they will be crushed for their own iniquities. That's what Jesus came to rescue us from, so it's a good reminder to anyone here who's never made that life decision. If you've not looked to Jesus as the one God sent and, and, and accepted what He accomplished for you, then you will stand before God on your own merits, and you'll be crushed for your own iniquities. So, a reminder to anyone here this morning who's not made that life decision that you could do that today and you could allow Jesus to be the one who suffered in your place just by accepting uh, what he has done in your place. If that's something that uh, you've never done, you want to do that today, would be a great day to do that. If you, you could do it right here before communion or if you feel like that's too big of a decision for me to make without talking to somebody, then, then let's, set, let's set a time to talk. Talk with me or one of the pastors or someone you know here at Trinity. Someone you know that's made that life decision, and, and we'd love to walk you through that. And that's really the beginning of your, uh, of your walk with God. Well, this morning we're going to take these thoughts and we're going to turn them into a, in a time of worship through communion. And uh, here's how we're going to do this. Uh, communion, a reminder to all of us, is uh, really turbulence in a, in a couple of tangible symbols. We have a symbol of a broken bread and poured out blood. And in a moment, we're going to hold those two symbols in our hand, and they're going to picture turbulence. They're going to picture the turbulence that Jesus willingly went through to accomplish our salvation. As we do this, uh, the Bible spells out a couple parameters for worshiping in communion. One of those is uh, that communion is for anyone who has made the life decision of accepting Jesus as the one God sent. Anyone who has made that life decision is welcome to join us, whether this is your, even if this is your first time this morning you're at Trinity, you're welcome to join us in communion if you have looked to Jesus as the one God sent. And secondly, the second qualification, it's for believers who look to Jesus as the one God sent, who, number two, are living in alignment with that. That means that there isn't, none of us are perfect, but that means there isn't anything in your life that you are willingly holding on to and aggressively pursuing uh, that you know is contrary to what God has for you. So, all of us have things to bring to the Lord on a regular basis, but you know if you're moving out of position this morning, you should not worship God. You should confess to him and use this time to, to make that right. So if you're here this morning, you haven't made a life decision to follow Jesus, then just let the elements pass by and use this time to think about that. If you're here this morning, you've got big business to take care of before you worship God, then uh, take care of that and, and uh, join us next time. But for everyone else, you are welcome to join us, even if this is uh, your first time, one of your first times to worship with us. And what I'd like to do is ask the men who are going to lead us to come and, and have a seat, and our musicians are going to come up. And uh, here's how we're going to do this. You're going to hold in your hands in just a minute a, a, a symbol of turbulence. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. This is a picture of turbulence. And you're going to take this symbol of what Jesus experienced and went through for you. And you're going to hold it in your hand as the men pass out the bread. And then, then just hold it in your hand. 
And then we're going to pass out the, the juice, the, this picture of Jesus' poured out blood. And you're going to hold this. Noah is going to lead us in two songs. And as he leads, you can hold the bread in one hand and wait for the cup. And when you get the cup, uh, as soon as you have both of those elements, you're thinking about turbulence. You're thinking about what Jesus went through for you. You're holding these symbols of his broken body and poured out blood in your hand. And as soon as you have both elements, Noah is going to lead us in two songs. When you're ready, you pray. You uh, spend time with the Lord, and then when you're ready, you're, you just go ahead and take the bread and the cup and continue in prayer and singing. Noah's going to lead. You can sing. You can listen. You can pray. You're welcome to worship God as you feel ready to do uh, this morning. What I'd like to do is, is uh, open this time of worship in prayer. God, thank you for, uh, for the ultimate sacrifice of your son. Jesus, thank you for willingly taking on Uh, terrible turbulence, totally undeserved, in order to win salvation for us. Today we worship you. We will uh, worship you through through these pictures of what you went through for us, saving us from going through uh, this very turbulence for eternity. And we thank you. Amen.